Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm glad everyone's here. Let me open in prayer. Uh, let me open in prayer, and we can get, uh, get into the study or where we're at. Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for another, uh, another Shabbat, a day of rest. Father, we do delight to enter into this. We come to grow closer to you and to Father to one another here as well. Father, we ask that your spirit be with us to empower us, to help us understand your words, to be empowered by that spirit, to overcome all the things that may come before us. Father, again, we thank you so much because your very words became flesh. He has dwelt among us. We trust in whom you sent, and that's your son, Yeshua, who we see as our Messiah and our King, and we thank you very much for that. Amen. All right. Well, I'm glad all you guys are here. Oh, I do have to remind you, and those online, uh, just in case, uh, this will, uh, for the next two Shabbats, we won't be here. We'll be up in Sh uh, Sholo, okay? So, but after that, please come back, and then we'll continue in the, the book of, because what I'll do is I'm not going to continue in Matthew up there, because we've got all kinds of awesome events going on. And that's another reminder, if you haven't signed up for Sukkot, Please do that. Uh, today is the last, uh, is actually the deadline. So, and that doesn't mean, uh, oh, I don't have the money right now. All it means is please register that you know that you're going and you can always pay up there, okay? So, all that to be said, we have a mic here. Uh, it's pretty much an open forum. I try to guide us through the, some of the text here the best way I can. So Paul has the mic, so if you have a comment or question, just raise your hand. The mic will make its way to you. All we ask in return is try to make um, your stick on the point. Uh, how do I word it? Um, be on point of what we're talking about and try to make it as brief as you can, okay? So where are we at in the book of Matthew? Um, Matthew 22, uh, this is the time of the Passover. Yeshua is in Jerusalem within that three, three, four-day time period. So he's being tested. He's being scrutinized by various groups of people, just like in the Exodus story, where they brought that lamb in a Nisan uh, 10, and they examined that lamb and made sure it was a perfect one, didn't have any blemishes. So you can see Yeshua is following that same pattern here in Jerusalem as well. So, real quick, I'll read this. A lot of this we've gone over before, but this will just, since we, uh, it, will, it will help us put it back into the, the context of where we're at in the text, because I know there's some new people here, and this is always good to know, even as we're going through there, help us keep on point. So, this is uh, Matthew 22, 23. And, and, the, and that day, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him, 
saying, Teacher, Moshe said to if anyone should die having no children, his brother uh, shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. We have went over that. We went back to Deuteronomy 25 where it uh, talks about that. So, um, so if uh, um, a man dies being married, then uh, his, uh, the, his dis- the, the brother should raise up children for his name. All right, we talked a lot about that. That's what the scriptures talks about. So, but the Pharisees are testing him, and they're going into this elaborate, uh, I can't remember the word, or what the word would be. Uh, So they're making this real uh, huge big deal out of this, because they're going on, well, if this uh, brother died, and the next brother died, and the next brother died, and in the end, whose uh, wife should it be? Uh, 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 should it be so? That's uh, what they're doing. What they're kind of testing him right now. What, and we talked about what are the, what kind of um, motives that they may have had. But we did see for sure that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Okay, they believed in uh, this now time, even to the point that we could make some connections when Scripture talks about, um, and in the sense that they were probably the ones that looked at which is kind of no different today, but that um, finances and things like that, that was a blessing, all right? Which it can be, all right? But at the same time, it's not, it's not always, a, not always can be a blessing. So they looked on the material things, meaning uh, they were, in some sense, they were using it as a gaugement of being more righteous and closer to Elohim because they had more money, because that was a sign that, you know, that's how they looked at things. So we talked about that. And, but what I started wanting to focus on uh, was how Yeshua answered them. And Yeshua answered and said to them, You go astray, not, um, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of Elohim. For in the, resurrection, in the resurrection they do not marry, nor are they given a marriage, but are the messengers of Elohim in the heavens. Now, what I wanted to do as we started going through this is actually just kind of nitpicking and looking at the text and seeing what it was saying. Last week, I believe we looked at, you go astray not knowing the scriptures nor the power of Elohim. That's a very very powerful statement because we looked at it, it's like, this is being said at the time of Yeshua. This is being said at the time that the New Testament has not been written yet. So he's referring to the scriptures. So that can only be one thing. So I suggest to you that is what most people would call the Old Testament, okay? And that's where the power of Elohim is, is in those commandments, in those scriptures. Because the New Testament is just an elaboration on those scriptures, okay? So we talked about that and how important that was. and then we saw in Mark, uh, Mark pretty much uh, same situation. We have the same recording of Yeshua's answer. But Luke, we are looking, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy of obtaining the next age, which is kind of interesting, all right, Luke is saying worthy. So that means worthy based on what scriptures. Mm, again, the power of Elohim is in those I'm... I'm saying is those obedience to those commandments, okay? So 
So, and then Luke goes on, uh, neither is it possible for them to die anymore. So we looked at that in the sense that with the context, how the Sadducees were adding, uh, I can't think of the word that I want to use. Uh, hypothesis, not hypothesis. When you just speculate and speculate, what's that word? No, yeah. It'll come to me out of nowhere, and all of a sudden I'll blurt it out on you guys. But um, uh, anyhow, so, so um, but here we see uh, neither is possible for them to die anymore. So however they were looking at it, Yahshua was actually pointing back to them, okay, you don't believe in the resurrection anyhow, but in the resurrection, you know what? This commandment actually doesn't, won't be there anymore because no one dies, so no one's going to be... No one's going to die, so this commandment, no one dies, then no one has to be given in marriage or married that way, okay? So, which I thought was uh, very interesting um, in that sense. So, I also think that uh, here, Yahshua is answering their question and addressing something deeper, even more personal to them, uh, uh, personally and as a group, okay? So, what we started going through because uh, there's a lot here that's uh, here where the resurrection of the dead, that's kind of where we're going to go today because we ask, where is that in the Old Testament? Okay? Where is this resurrection of the dead? And then uh, probably when we get back from Sukkot, we'll address the messengers of Elohim in the heavens and really look at that and have that be defined from the Old Testament, not from New Testament theology. Okay? And I think that's very important that Whenever you're looking at the text, you look at the Old Testament on how things are in the culture as well, how the foundations are laid before, you know, you can't go backwards. When you go backwards with ideas, they don't necessarily always fit. I saw you had your hand up. Did you have a comment? Conjecture you're looking for? I'm sorry? Conjecture? Uh, No, but it's... I. uh, I'll probably come across in my notes, and then you'll know what I mean. I see it a lot. People do that all the time. When you, uh, for instance, it, the, it's big in the abortion. Okay, people are like, "Oh, I can't have the abortion because what if this happens? What if this happens? What if that that, that whatever that word means to have all those I know you guys know the word, and well. I. I'm just going to say what if scenarios. And that's just it. Let's use that for now and it will come. And that's what the fair uh, Sadducees were doing. What if, what if, what if, what if. And you can't live your life on what if. You know what I mean? But they took this idea to such an extreme, which we see politically people do that anytime they're opposed to some kind of thing. You know, they're, well, what if this happens and that happens and that happens? Well, we can't have that law based on this obscure what if over here. It's like, let's just focus here. So, um, yes, I'm sorry, the hand's up somewhere? So what was your hypothetical question again? Hypothetical, that's it. That's the word, (laughs) hypothetical. We can't live our lives based on just hypotheticals. I See, I knew you guys knew it. (laughs) See, I don't feel that bad because he's the only one that got it, so, right? (laughs) But anyhow, that's what they were doing. They were basing this whole hypothetical thing and throwing it before Messiah and saying, give us an answer, you know. And they were probably testing to where he's at and what have you. 
because that's uh, uh, just how they, that we see it plays a part. Uh, something else I want to add, because when I do talk about the Sadducees, because we did talk about them, they had a lot of great qualities in them that I, I had mentioned, some of the things that they did. It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, and then the Pharisees, it's like some things that they did, it's like, yeah, you know. So we have to look at that. And that being said, when I always look at, or what I, I have you think about, anytime you see the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes, you know, and Yeshua is disciplining them, try to think about, is that me? Okay, instead of just, because it's easy to look at that people group, set them over, see, Yeshua is against all them, and I'm not them. You know what I mean? And we shouldn't do that. We should start looking at them. As they're, they're human beings. He was correcting them on certain things that he was correcting them on. All right? And I, I see in both these groups they had a lot of great qualities. Uh, um, so we talked about that as well. So always keep that in mind. So then we come to it's Yeshua's answer, I think, was powerful. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by Elohim, saying, I am the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob. The Elohim is not the Elohim of the dead, but of the living. And then the crowd heard it. They were astonished at his teaching. And me, going through this, I'm thinking, what does that actually mean? You know, I mean, we can breeze by that and say, yeah, Messiah told them, you know what I mean? The crowds, they walked away. Are the crowds walking away like, I have no clue what he said or what he meant by that. And are we in that crowd walking away or we just hanging there because he's cool? You know, like, yeah, you tell him and we still know what you're talking about, you know? So that's what I try to do. Uh, but what we did, we looked at that verse and we, uh, or that comment, I am the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we looked at it. It was uh, some of the key points that we came across was, you know, that's specific. It's specific to one Elohim, nobody else. And it was specific actually to a promise and a covenant, even to the point that you can see even others... Uh, share in Abraham, in their lineage, right? But it's pretty specific when it starts to get in showing where that covenant was passed to, what son that covenant was passed to. So, it, it, you know, so that really clarifies all that. So that's a very, uh, a very important point, I think, uh, as, us, as Messianics, Hebrew roots, as Christians in general should look at that. That's very, very special, okay? It's a unique God. However you might view deities and gods and things out there, regardless, it really shows you who I am talking about. I'm following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because that's where the promise is. That's where the covenant is. That's where the power of Elohim is in that God because he's the one that created everything, okay? He is the one. So we talked about that. Um, and then that whole idea, but he's, not the, he's the Elohim of the dead. I pointed, or not the Elohim of the dead. And I thought, you know, that's one way we can understand that too. To some degree, without getting too 
into a lot of big theology types of things. Just the simple, uh, the simple thing is, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more here in a little bit, but life and death, you know. Life is alive, and by definition, it's eternal. You know what I mean? If you're living, that's not there, all right? So he's the God of the living, all right? And I thought that, that will play a part, especially with the covenant and how that was passed down. So that, what that means for us today, too, if we're saying he's, you know, he's our God, he's the God of the living, well, if you're living, you better be living what he's asked you to live out. You see what I'm saying? You know, so if he is your God, he's told you who he is, he's alive, and he has commandments for you, and that goes for everyone. Polly. I have two points, Ralphie. One is back on your other slide that you had prior. One of the perspectives I have considered when looking at verse 29, you go astray not knowing the scriptures nor the power of Elohim, mm -hmm. is based on um, things that we... There's, there's many sects of Judaism, just like there's different denominations yes. of Christianity. So, you know, you can tell uh, the sect that the person follows, usually by how they're dressed or how they're walking out the commands. They see it a certain way, and they will walk these commands out according to their understanding. I also know that um, most of our brother Judah does not consider just the five books uh, of the Torah as the Torah. Mm -hmm. They also consider the extra biblical um, literature that goes along with this as part of the Torah because they see that you cannot possibly keep these things without the writings of the rabbis and the ancient sages before us because they tell us how we're to do these things. So they combine it as one. When they look at us and see, you say you keep Torah, you don't keep Torah because you're yeah. not doing all these other things the that go along, the yes, and those go along with this. Yeah. So that could have been possibly a perspective, you know, you, that, because we know he tells them in another place that you replace the commandments, of, uh, the commandments for the teaching of men. So I kind of see that that, um, you know, could go along, that they were already doing these things at this time, um, adding to his written word, saying, no, you have to do all of these other things in order to keep this. Yes. The, the Torah. And we, we did find it, like, like what she's pointing out, like the Pharisees are one uh, Messiah, when he's addressing them, he uses that term, you hold to the traditions of your fathers or whatever, because the Pharisees did that. And that's why the Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. Not that they didn't have a halakha or a way of life. They didn't want to be dictated by the Pharisees. They thought an individual should go and dictate their life, which is a good thing, where the Pharisees say, no, you've got to do it strictly this way. You yes. know? So you got that, yes, you got that at play at time behind all this. Right. The second point is on the next slide that you were talking about. And this is fresh on my mind because I've been looking at this fairly in depth this last week. And I'll make it concise that uh, I know I've been looking at the scriptures in Micah 5 where it talks about this coming prince of peace that's coming, the one that's coming, this child that's going to be born of a virgin that's going to come to bring peace. And, and it continues on explaining who he is and what this promised child is going to do. Okay, this is back in Micah. Mm -hmm. Now we have back in Isaiah 
uh, is it uh, chapter 7 or 9, I'll have to look again, where it's talking about a virgin will give birth. Basically the same thing, this promised child that is going to come. Now, the verse in Isaiah that it talks about this, a piece in Isaiah, I'll have to, I can look and tell you if it's 7 or 9. I think it's 9. 9, okay. Nine, so 11. if we go back a little bit in, in that context of what that's talking about, this is King Ahaz who is fearful because he has two kings that are coming in to destroy his family. They are going to be destroyed, and he's very concerned that his family is going to be wiped out. But the father sends the prophet Isaiah to him to promise him, no, Ahaz, your your descendants. Now, Ahaz, if you look in... uh, Matthew chapter 1, okay, he is part of the lineage of Messiah. So Ahaz is, I believe, 20-ish, one, two uh, generations after Abraham. Okay, now this is interesting because the promise that Isaiah gives to King Ahaz, no, your descendants are not going to be wiped out, and here is the miraculous sign that I'm going to prove to you that your descendants are going to live. And the verse that Isaiah quotes to him is the virgin that's going to give birth to a promised son who is going to bring all of these things, a prince of peace. Uh, uh, he tells him, you shall call him Emmanuel, his because king, God is with us. His okay. government's on his shoulder. Yes. That, yeah. So now, if you think about this, this promised child that was promised, the miraculous sign to King Ahaz, doesn't happen for another, how many, 20-some generations later? What I see is that the promised Messiah is the miraculous sign to us that the remnant of Abraham will live. The Mm -hmm. seed of Mm -hmm. Abraham will always live. I've always been with the remnant. I always will be with the remnant. My spirit is with the remnant. If we think about Elijah, he was in this same place. Elijah was thinking, I'm going to be wiped out. I'm the only one left here. And the father assures him, Elijah, you're not the only one left. (laughs) I have preserved a remnant. Yeah. I see all of this is talking about Yeshua saying, I am that one. I, I am he, I am yeah. the one that has come for the remnant. I am here. I am the one promised. I'm the promised miraculous sign promised way back in Isaiah that I am going to be here, King of kings and Lord of lords, Emmanuel, over the remnant of Abraham that will always exist. And this is why our brother Judah, Mark talked about this during Pesach, why our brother Judah sets a place uh, for Elijah, Elijah at Passover, mm-hmm. the, the remnant lives. We're stating the remnant still lives. This is why Elijah uh, is incorporated in the um, circumcision on the eighth day. And we realize if we would have known the depth of this when we had our two boys just recently just circumcised, you think about that. What is that circumcision saying? The remnant of Abraham still lives today. Yes. You know, it's why Elijah. The, the, the spirit of Elijah is among them because the remnant of Abraham still lives in this child sitting right here today, the king of the living. Now, that's awesome. Thank you, Polly. Yes. Because it points right back. And now, again, that shows us how important Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. You know, and, and there's so many things that are in there, the family lineage. Uh, and, you know, and we, we could go on and on and on in there, you know, 
So that's why it's important, and we have to understand that even more and more as we, as, as we walk. Again, thank you, Polly. So um, with this idea, he's the God of the living. We covered that. Um, then the resurrection of the dead. That was the one, one of the questions that I, I had put forth, and it was like, you know, where is that? Because if Yeshua is just basically bringing forth everything that was, then we, sh- we should be able to find that. So I got some verses that I can show you where that concept of those rising from the dead, you can only come to one conclusion, that that's the case. And then one of them being life. If we know life, the matter however you want to define it, in whatever culture, life by definition goes on and on. And so, the resurrection of the dead. So first, I think that Yeshua was taking this opportunity to address an error that the Sadducees had in their thinking, okay? On the resurrection of the dead. So we see that our, the Elohim whom we worship of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was, is, and always will be. We talked about that too, how we saw that in there. Now, oh, real quick before we get in, this is kind of interesting. This actually goes with what Polly had mentioned before, some of the writings beforehand. This is, uh, this is from the Babylonian Talmud. It says this. The Talmud teaches that in the world to come, that there is neither eating nor drinking, nor bearing of children, nor um, commerce, nor envy, nor hatred, or contention. And, you know, some of that, I don't know what all they're basing that on. But yet, at the same time, we can't look at it and say, okay, that's complete truth. You know what I mean? That is the way it is. So, but how Polly said, these are some of the ideas that um, the people around Yeshua would have had and been exposed to. Right or wrong, I'm not making any judgment on that. And it's no different with us today. We got a, uh, the, the various uh, religions or denominations all of us have participated in, along with, you know, the world and the science and everything like I, I know I'm not the only one saying this. Like, you know, we do have a lot of baggage, and we've got to weigh this all out and know which is really uh, right to cling to or to have, you know. So, so we, like Polly was saying, we do have a lot of that going that was apparent at the time of Yeshua. And I believe, and this is the key thing, Yeshua, he always pointed back to the text. He always pointed back to the words. He didn't. He didn't invent anything new. Anything that maybe was kind of new would maybe be his parables, but that teaching method wasn't new. And the concepts were based in something that was there already. You know, so, so I, I guess in my head, I was like, if anyone says, oh, the New Testament's done and gone with, you don't need it, you're throwing the power of your God away if you buy that thought process. You really are. So... And that's something that I think all of us are learning more and more of getting hold of that power. Because after all, that's where the spirit's at. But we can get into that later. So the resurrection of the dead, where is it? Where are these concepts coming from that Yeshua seems to be there? Or why the Pharisees said it was there and the Sadducees didn't? Genesis 22. Isn't it amazing? It's like in the beginning, like Isaiah says, I declare everything 
from the beginning how the end's going to be. So in the beginning is all the foundations. And Yahweh, or Yahuwah, Elohim said, See, the man has become like us to know good and evil, and now least he put his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, I don't know any other way to look at this. It seems like they were in the Im- we were designed in the image of Elohim from the beginning. He is eternal. His very name states that he's the eternal existent one. And we're in that image. And it seems by this point, in dying you die. Remember, he says, in dying you will die. All of a sudden, that's a new concept. And here we have in Genesis saying, I can't have them going and eating and living forever. So we have to come from the basis of that we were designed to be eternal. An ongoing, an ongoing being, human, was designed eternally. But we have to deal with death, but yet he's going to be the God of the living. And I'll show you a little bit more. Because this whole concept is going back and guarding that way back to that tree. So the only thing that you're going to get from the tree of life is like kind produce like kind is life. Okay? And he drove man out, and he, uh, he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden in a flaming sword that turned each way, guarding the way back to the tree of life. So, on one hand, we do, as, um, we do have this curse. That we're going to have to deal with death. Okay? But yet, at the same time, the, to me, the text is saying, yeah, you're going to have to deal with death but at the same time, I've dealt with that for you. And to get back to that tree of life, which is eternal, I'm going to give you some commandments and guides in your life as you live to that point. And then after that point, you got life. If you continue with the commands that I give you that are life. So you can see embedded this concept with Yeshua to me, he's just bringing out everything that was already there. He's bringing out with a much uh, a crisper idea. And then you can see why the Pharisees uh, did see a resurrection had the place. And I'll show you a little bit more. So, Genesis thirteen fourteen, And after Lot had separated from him, this is Abraham and Lot, uh, okay, Yahuwah said to Abram, Now lift up your eyes and look to the place where, uh, where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. So land is involved here, okay? But that's not all. For all the land which you see, I shall give you, you, <laughs> okay, and your seed forever. And it shall... Um, and I shall make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could count the dust of the earth, then your seed also will be counted. Arise, walk the land throughout the length and its width, for I give you. So it's obviously one thing that we can, like Polly had mentioned out in, in her comment, we see about the seed, generation to generation, we see that. To be given to them 
from Abraham forever. Okay? But I think the key point that I want to focus on, I shall give you, Abraham. I shall give you, Abraham, this land forever and your seed. All right, but if we go back to the you being Abraham, we know Abraham died. So wouldn't that, to me, it seems like, well, it sounds like Abraham has to be resurrected, resurrected to take that land forever on a, just a personal human in order for this promise to really be completely fulfilled. So you see what I'm saying? So there you can see there has to be a resurrection for Abraham to have the land forever. Because obviously he's not alive right now. He doesn't have that land, land. But yet you can see how it's promised. And how that promise, again, goes back to Abraham. The promises in the covenant and how much the land is involved and how much from generation to generation is also involved with that as well. And then you, that makes sense when we come out of the Exodus and it says, teach your children diligently. <laughs> it starts making even more sense now. If we start reading the Bible from that point of view coming up, okay, these statements, they're big, powerful statements. Okay? He does have it all worked out. And we just, knowing Yeshua, we need to go back and we can see even how more he has it worked out and how closer we can get to him, and how more empowered by his spirit, which has always been in operation, you know, by going back to those commandments and going back into our Bibles and really trying to look, uh, look at the concrete meanings in its culture and stuff uh, like that. That's where we'll gain a lot. Then it goes on. It kind of repeats itself in some ways. And I shall establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. It's an everlasting covenant. So you could think it was like, oh, it's just everlasting for generation to generation to generation to generation. And I believe that it's that. But I also think it's uh, everlasting to anybody in those generations who trusts in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and hold fast to his promises. So I think there's a twofold there, okay? And again, I'm projecting my own personal theology here. You can choose how, however you may want to see that. Because I always, I'm, I'm one, I see, who said it? Brad Scott said it, and it always stuck with me. You know, our God's able to teach you many things in one verse, okay? You know, and I'm like, my gosh, he's right, because I've seen several things, and so he can say multiple things at the same time, you know. So then it goes on, and I shall give you, uh, give to you, and there it is again, to you and your seed after you, the land of your sojourning. So Abraham has a promise that he's going to be in that land, even though he is dead. He's holding on to that promise that he'll be in that land for. Eternal. So you can see we're hanging on to the same promises. Abraham had the same. That's why he's, he is the father of our faith in some sense. He trusted in the words of Elohim. He did these commandments. He matured in them. He has the same faith as you and I do, even though we happen to know who Yahshua is. All right? 
But we, none of us saw Yahshua, but we trust in that that happened. So we have the same equivalent as Abraham did, because Abraham knew that, that that would be, and we're sitting here knowing that will be too. So we're equal with Abraham. So if we're going to be, if he's our father of our faith, and he walked with Elohim, was a friend of Elohim, all of a sudden, let's start being like Abraham, okay? Because after all, Yahshua, that's all he said is, Walk like I'm following my father. Abraham followed the same father. So you see how all of a sudden it goes from Old Testament to those powerful commands, like he said, the power that's in the scriptures that are in what he has written down. That's where our power of our God is for us to walk out. So then he said, uh, where am I at? And I shall give you and your seed after you this land of sojournings. All the land of Canaan, the everlasting possession, I shall be their Elohim. So, so in the end, if he's the Elohim of the living, in the end, those who are hanging on those promises, even though we die and we resurrect, he's going to be there because he's the God of those who live. Do that this week. Walk around. He's the God of the living. I'm alive. And ponder that over and over again and see where that might take you. That's it. To me, I was like, I was like oh my gosh. You know, it really, wow. Kathy. Um, when you made that statement about in this one verse, to me, about um, what you were saying about um, the laws I always go to this one verse about what you were saying about the New Testament, that it's not abolished, that it's is, uh, the King James Version of Matthew 5.17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And in me, to me, that's like all of it, just bam, right there in that one verse that how can you argue with that? Like, how can people say, oh, the Old Testament doesn't matter and it's all about the New Testament or vice versa? Like, yes. that's right there and then. So it's, like, obvious to me. I always come back to that verse. Yeah, no, he has come to... Sh- Yeshua, all he has, he has come... <laughs> there was many purposes that he's accomplished. But one of the huge ones that we see before and after you know, uh, or his death and resurrection was a lot about the commandments, going back to those. And basically, I have come not to abolish everything that you know that has been written, and I'm, you know, I've come to show you how to do and walk out all those things. Okay, like Polly had pointed out, like we have no different than today. We have all these things trying to cloud us on how to be, how to walk, how to do this, how to live, you know, life coach, this, this, that, that. We have a life coach. (laughs) We've had a life coach, and we need to stick with the one who actually knows what life's about, (laughs) you know? So, um, Wanda, did you have a comment? I, I just wanted to read Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You will lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Uh, That's 
sounds like resurrection. It sounds like a resurrection there. That's the prophets. You know? So here it goes on, then my covenant will guard between me and you. So the covenant's so wrapped up into this whole promise, which is actually eternal life, even right here. Thank you, Wanda, by the way, too. Uh, um, for your seed, every male child, it talks about the circumcision, the importance that's behind that circumcision. You know, it's a sign that you do to say, you are my Elohim. You are the one. You're above all. I'm following you. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your, uh, of your foreskin, and it shall become a sign of the covenant between me and you. And then how we, we see later on how the Father uses this, even in his commandments, by the foreskin of your heart. So if you really combine those two, get your heart right, meaning get that. Dedicate your heart back to those commandments and those promises, because he's the only one that can uphold anything. Because there was no way, I think Apostle Paul said, there was no one greater to oath than himself. Then it goes on, here's some more on uh, the resurrection. Daniel. Now, at that time, uh, Melchiel shall stand up, the great, head, uh, the great head who is standing over the sons of the people. And there shall be a time of distress such as never... Uh, was uh, since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth wake up, some to everlasting life, some to reproaches, everlasting adhorrence. So, again here, we see this concept of Daniel is even saying there is a resurrection. Those in the dust who are asleep in the dust shall come. And it's interesting, um, that, that terminology, who sleep in the dust. And Messiah used that terminology when he was talking to Lazarus. Uh, I'm not sure if I have that. But, and I'm stating that because when we talk about uh, where we go, how it is, and whatever, there's really not a whole lot that's telling us about that. But I like to stick to Messiah's words when in here, even Daniel, this idea asleep. I think that's more comforting in trying to think, okay, what's going to happen until the resurrection of the dead? Hey, if we just stick to the idea of just you're asleep and then you'll be awake. <laughs> to me, it's, it's a lot easier. Uh, and it doesn't allow a whole lot of maybe misguided ideas to come in as well. So Yeshua uses the same language as Daniel. And he uses it here in John 11. I did have it. He, he said this. And after that, he said to them, our friend Eliezer has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Therefore, the taught one said to him, Master, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Yeshua spoke this about his death, whereas they thought he spoke of, um, of taking rest and sleep. So then Yeshua said to them plainly, Eliezer is, is dead. So basically Yeshua says, Eliezer is dead. I'm going to go and I'm going to raise him up. I'm going to resurrect him. 
So I think that's a good way to understand uh, that language uh, when we're talking about that. If we stick to the simplicity of it, my thought that I'll project on you, you'll be safer, okay, with that concept. Then in Acts 7.60, so we're getting into the New Testament, this idea that they brought from the old, okay, and kneeling down, he cried out with a loud voice, Master, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. This is about uh, uh, Stephen, right? Um, Stephen, he was stoned. So Stephen was using that same terminology as well. So let's finish this up here, um, obviously, with some of the New Testament concepts. And then I might have a couple comments uh, for you guys here to the end. So if, here is 1 Corinthians 15, 12. And if Messiah is proclaimed that he has been uh, raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So we know from reading this, these are Pharisees. I would suggest these are Pharisees who he suggested that come to accept Yeshua in one way or another, but yet holding on to some of their old theologies, okay? Because we see that play out all through the text. So because how can you hang on to that there is no resurrection of the dead? I mean, and if Messiah has not been raised, then, then, um, then our proclaiming is empty. And if our belief is also empty, and we are also found false witnesses of Elohim because we have witnessed of Elohim that he raised up um, Messiah, whom he did not raise up. If then the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then neither Messiah has been risen. If Messiah has not been risen, your faith is to no purpose you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, same terminology here, fallen asleep in Messiah have perished. If in this life only we have expectation, hope in Messiah, we are of all men the most wretched. But now Messiah has been raised from the dead and has become the first fruits of the house of of the living, uh, having fallen asleep, same terminology there again. So we see uh, how Paul was bringing all, uh, I believe it was Paul, right, that bringing all that whole concept then. So we can see resurrection was not a new thing, and we can see how much it's connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the promises. So this is really to anybody, uh, anybody who's believing in the book. If you're believing in the book, it's Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where the power is. That's where the resurrection is. That's where the hope is. That's where everything's at. All right? So if we throw that away, here's another term. If we throw the Torah away, you're throwing your eternal life away. You're throwing away resurrection. You're throwing away all that, right? That's how I would do that. So... I have, sorry, I thought I'd have some more time, but I have to close. Um, if there's a quick comment, if not, I can close in prayer. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate you guys coming and being here, being a part of Living Messiah and this family that the Father has started here and is continuing to grow. So.
Father, we thank you again for your precious promises that are sealed. They are sealed and backed by your words. Father, we thank you that you have made us to be eternal, and you have made us a way to get through our own filth that we had caused death to enter into our lives. And we hang on to your promises of the blood of your son, Yeshua, and we look forward to being resurrected and living with you, Father. We thank you, the eternal one, the eternal one who's brought all together, you, Yahuwah, alone. We thank you. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. And again, I thank all those online and you guys being here. It's been a wonderful. And we'll, when we get back from Sukkot in uh, two weeks, we'll start getting into um, the rest of where we're at. So in the meantime, you can always read ahead. Okay? There's no rules that you can't do that. So Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad you're here. <laughs>